Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the WCBC Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name is Alan. I'm Josh. And we are here, and we're back. I know last week we missed. Um, I, myself, and Haley were a little under the weather, and um, Alan ended up having a meeting at 4 o'clock, so it kind of worked itself out. And I'll go ahead and throw this out here, too, this next week. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, we won't <laughs> We won't be having an episode. I'm getting married Friday, or Saturday, so... Uh, Congratulations. Thanks. Yes. It's kind of crazy, because, I, I mean, we... We had already started the podcast, but in the midst of this podcast being started, I was engaged, and then we it's went through this year. It's not to change your mind if you... you. No, I'm good. <laughs> hey, as uh, as some Haley, men... She's going to hate me forever. <laughs> hey, as some men might say, uh, you know, this was ordained by God. Absolutely. So, Alan, there's yeah. just, there's Very no good. other option. Very good. That's Very like good. Uh, this last week, Jake, uh, if you guys remember Brother Jake, he was texting me, because um, I, I do some work for him. And he's like, what day do you want to work? And I was like, well, I can't work Saturday. And he's like, why? And I was like, well, I'm getting married. And he was like, why? And I just put God's on the throne. He said, yes, he is. And I was like, so that's, that's a good answer, yeah, you know. Good answer. Uh, you know, if everybody knew my life and the way that I have been raised and the mistakes I've made and all these things, man, it, it's a it's a blessing. It's a gift. You know, marriage is a gift given by God. And I'm just excited because there's so many things to learn about the relationship, but also, it's like, you know, men have been charged to be the head of the household, the household, you know, to prepare, but also like take care of the family through working, you know, providing. And so I think it's just a really exciting time in life to learn these biblical uh, topics, but like applications that have been instilled through Christ in mine and Haley's life. And so we're super excited. Um, and, and so Saturday, huh? Yeah. Saturday's the day. Yep. Good Saturday. Day. Absolutely. We're praying for you. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot to learn. Uh, I, I think I've had to use the phrase, you know what, you're right, probably more well, than get I... get used to it, brother, because it's not going to be the last time you have to say that. Because, like, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, like, uh, you know, I'm a prideful person. Sometimes I'm super stubborn. I like to have things the way I, w- I want to be right, you know, that's just me. And so I've had to use that phrase a lot because, like... The, and the other part of it, it about it is like Haley's like really quiet and like really nice. So when I realize I'm wrong, it's even worse because she's nice all oh, the yeah. way through it. But you know that it's that how God can put two people together to like have things in common, but also to not, but also to kind of provoke each other to godliness. Absolutely. And that's some of the best advice that I've received from you know you two or anybody is that you know the relationship that you have should provoke each other to Christ even more. And, uh, I mean, it, it's an exciting thing, but it's also like, you know, when you look out in the world and you see a lot of broken relationships and, you know, people that just, they don't agree. So they're like, let's divorce. It, it's heartbreaking because, you know, it is a gift given by God. And it, it's, it's go so ahead, I've, been, I've been, I've been watching you and I know that you are so committed and you're so, uh, uh like, like you said, just a providential appointment by God putting you two together. And I know that, uh, uh, God's in the works, so I have very uh, yeah. high level of confidence that uh, I can take little jabs and, and, and joke with you. Yeah. And you're going to understand that uh, yeah. it's, it's all in good fun, but I yeah. have uh, the utmost confidence yeah. that God's going to be with you guys. And there's, I mean, there's also an aspect, I mean, any young person that's listening to this, like, you've got to listen to the wisdom that's given because it's like, even the afternoon before podcasts, when I asked Josh and Zoe, you know, if I can marry Haley, you know, I don't forget that about family has to be first family's important you know josh really pushed me in that moment you know to always remember to keep christ first and every now and then i'll go up to him and be like hey you said this one time and i just want to because you've got to listen to that kind of advice i mean when people live a life but also they have experience in their you know 30 plus years 20 plus years 15 plus years of marriage i mean they're gonna have advice but then you put on top of the cake that they're christians and they adhere to God's word, they're going to have, like, applicable advice for, like, just logical relationship tips, but also they're going to be like, you know, well, the word of God says this, and this is something God's taught me. And so it's kind of cool because all of the wisdom of the lessons that you all have learned from the Lord, and here you are being able to pass those down to me and other men, um, I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, that's that's free stuff right there that God gives and, and God directs. And so um, it's an exciting time. 
But um, I will say this too. I'm excited about today. Jake was wanting to be with us for this this segment. Um, unfortunately, he's not here. He's preaching in North Carolina. Uh, there's a good chance there's going to be a part two to this because uh, you know we'll have to talk more about doctrines and stuff. And I know that's the part he wanted to help us focus on. Um, so the next episode, not this next week, but the next episode, you know, we'll probably hit more of that. Um, but today we're going to dive into. Um, I believe Calvin is, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I can't remember if this last week did we even we did we touch on universalism or traditionalism. Let me look at the list real quick because I know this last week somebody I think it's my brother-in-law. He's like sending me screenshots of the podcast and he's like, "Where's the episode?" And I was like, um, "Yeah, we're just we can't have it. You know, I'm not there." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." So. Um, Let's see, so this last week we had Introduction to Theologies Part 1. We did talk about universalism, did we not, in traditionalism? Or did we stop at traditionalism? Uh, we might have, I don't remember. I, we might have touched on I think we did touch we done, on We did a brief overview. overview because, yeah. Yeah, because oh, we so we... the universalism. Yeah. All right, well... We, did, we went a little bit more in-depth in yeah. on Calvinism yeah. and... Uh, we, we lightly touched we, on it. We lightly touched on Yeah. The, uh, you know what? I'm going to go back and do my research. Because I actually, I had an episode loaded on the template. And I was like, we didn't do it in the last week. We didn't do it in the last week. So I'll go back through it. Because, I mean, when in doubt, yeah. we'll go back. Yeah. We'll post it. I mean, it don't matter. Like, we're going to cover everything regardless. Um, but today we've prepared for Calvinism. So that's, that's what we're going to focus on. Um, you know, I, I will say this. Like, the universalism and that traditionalism we did talk about it. maybe i just yep. didn't upload it maybe i forgot i don't remember i'll look at it here in a little we bit talked about it. um but you know uh whether you all have heard it or not um this traditional this universalism you know we laugh that we briefly lightly talked about traditionalism is the idea of like tradition through history needs to be the theology taught universalism is a universal yeah, christ yeah. everybody's in um and so, like to say, um, I'll go back and research that. But today we are just we're just going to start because um, we're going to get there anyway. Um, but today we're going to start with Calvinism. And if you guys are familiar, you know, in our intro part one, we talked about the idea of John Calvin, and we kind of really lined him up with Joseph. I think it's Joseph Arminius, Arminia. or it's we kept calling it Jacob, Jacob, Jacobus. I think that's what it is, not Joseph. We'll yeah. get it right because we've done the same thing in the other podcast. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> I, I mean we were like back and forth on it, um, but yeah. So we want to talk about John Calvin today, specifically. Um, you know, I've kind of went through the his life like in different sections of, of important events, and you know, there's going to be some really good stopping points that we can discuss. Um, but then, you know, it's like you get into his theology. Um, I know we've already mentioned, like, a lot of people are very well known with Tulip, the five points of Calvinism. John Calvin didn't create those. His followers did. So, like, we'll have to go through and discuss things like that. Um, but we are going to just kind of start with this brief, I guess, this biography type of um, explanation of the man, John Calvin. So, first thing is, John Calvin was born in... Noyon Picardy, France, July tenth, fifteen oh nine. That's that's a long time. Um, now you got to remember, like he's going to play a big part into the Protestant Reformation. I mean, he's right in here into this time frame. Um, for so he's born right. I didn't bring his parents' names. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not good at French. So I'm not even trying to pronounce some of these phrases today. I ain't real good at English. Yeah. So I mean, we're not good at English. We're just not. I'm not going to try to do French, but. Um, 1509, that was a, that's a long time. He's an old guy. So, uh, second thing, you know, he was sent, so he's born, uh, tradition says like his father had a huge, um, drawing towards like the church, you know, kind of that Roman Catholicism, that orthodoxy type of church. Um, uh, you know, he, he did participate in church things, you know, back then I think one thing was like an altar boy and different stuff like that. Um, but he had participated in stuff, you know, so he grows up. So he was sent to law school. His his father really was wanting him to pursue kind of like the priestly order, like preaching back then, pastoral, but it ended up being that he would go to law school. 
Um, and he went to law school from about 1528 to 1531, and he studied at Orleans and Burgess. This was just two pristine law schools, and, um, you know, to be able to go to law school, I mean, pretty intelligent. I mean, he was a pretty smart guy. Um, and so, a- after his studies of doing law, you know, he really started leaning towards um, the Reformation. I know that the history says that Erasmus, the guy who, uh, the Erasmus text, and really challenged the Catholic Church uh, with texts and different things, uh, he was influenced by him. And so, there was this desire that was produced in John Calvin to learn Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, which is your three languages of the original manuscripts. And it wasn't like he just went and learned words like we might mention. I mean, the man learned the language. I mean, he was was good at it. Um, And he did this because he wanted to intensify his biblical studies. So, like, hearing what the Catholic Church would read or, like, just seeing the Scriptures talked about, it wasn't enough for him. He really... You know, if the Reformation's taking place, right, the church is being, Catholic Church is being challenged. You know, Martin Luther, he prints it, gets the printer press, and all the pages go out, and people have the scriptures, and this Reformation's taking place. I mean, he's challenged, so he's going to learn these languages. And so after this, in about, you know, 1536, so he gets out of law school about 1531. So 1536, right, about five years later, he writes the 1536 Institute. So this is basically like... I have this one right here. I actually brought it with me today, and uh, this is the 1541 edition of the Institutes of Christian Religion. So it's basically like John Calvin writes a book about theology. Like, this is Christianity, this is what the Bible teaches, and this is how we need to interpret Scripture. So, I mean, he's young still. I mean, he's a young man, and he literally writes the Institutes in 1536. This is his first copy. Um... Then the next thing that happens is, you know, he has this desire to further, right, his education. And on his route to Germany, which eventually he's going to end in Strasbourg, uh, he stops in Geneva. And while he's there, he's heavily influenced by a guy named, uh, I'm going to butcher this, it's G-U-I-L-L-A-U-M-E, so it's like Galami, Galami, I'm not for sure, Fossel, which was just a preacher, a pastor in Geneva. And you can study the history of that influence. Um, I read an article once about how he basically was like, if you don't stay here, I'm going to pray curses on your life. And John Cowan's like, okay, you know, I'll stay. Uh, You can research that yourself. But it it is an interesting thing because John Calvin would be influenced to stay in Geneva with him. But we have to remember, like, Protestantism was like 10% or less like, in popularity in Geneva. I mean, everybody was really used to that Roman Catholicism. And so it's like they're trying to institute revival in a place that's used to tradition. And so, especially when he preaches Reformed theology of this idea of predestined for this, predestined for this, which it's in Scripture, but he, we will get into this later, he does take it to the extra step of the ultimate Calvinistic Reformed way of viewing Scripture. So, like, the church is not used to it at all. And so the the funny but like not funny thing is he communicates this and preaches this and to the point where like people are wanting to like I mean it gets like a law issue right because I mean authorities with the Catholic Church that him and Fassell are excommunicated in 1538 so he he writes 1536 right all these this book of institutes I mean he's still not very popular helps in Geneva and then he's excommunicated, so it's basically like, we're kicking you out of the church. So he's like, okay, you know, and so he leaves, and so he found shelter in Strasbourg where he's going to pursue his studies, but also he pastored a French-speaking church that was made of refugees. So not only would he do that, but he had also said that he would lecture the gospel. So he would teach, he would preach, he would pastor. I mean, he had his hands full. Now, the man was a genius. I mean, he was smart. He, I mean, just had a gift, I mean, of preaching. But, like, a lot of people don't realize, like, he, he was a man, too. So, like, one thing that I feel like really needs to be, you know, reiterated is, so he marries this woman named Adeletta, okay? D- De Bari, okay? So she was a widow. Her husband had died. So they never had children that survived infancy, so they tried to, I mean, through miscarriages or through their, ch- like, babies dying, they never successfully had a child. 
But yet, when you read their relationship through history, it was war- they describe it as it was a warm relationship. But ultimately, that reflected Christ. So, like, this man, I mean, you got to look. Like, I think about, you know, when Jesus told Peter, Paul, he's like, I'm going to teach you how to suffer for my name's sake. So, like, here's John Calvin. Now, and I'm not saying that this man's Paul or he's Jesus because he's not. Actually, there's a, a man that he would help be involved, and I'll get into this later, in his um, execution because he preached the gospel incorrectly. So, like, he had his flaws big time. But yet, this man is, like, convicted, right, to preach the gospel, to help, um, you know, uh, here's this next point. He became a well-known debater of Roman Catholic church theologians. So, there's the church in Germany that's a big church, and he joins in the sense of, like, learning from the pastor. But not only that, he becomes, like, well-known because he would get on a platform with all these very famous and, like, popular Roman Catholicistic debaters, like apologetic kind of people, and he would debate them on open platforms and destroy them because he was good. I mean, he was a lawyer, right? So he has that background. And so, but in the midst of this, he's already been excommunicated, right? People are wanting to persecute him. He's actually claiming and clinging as a refugee in another country. And then him and his wife can't have children, but yet he pursues the ministry. So, I mean, it just shows you, like, here in this day and age, a lot of people talk about the name John Calvin. I'll say this, they praise the name way too much. Yeah. I mean, literally, some places have, like, a John Calvin holiday. That's ridiculous. He's a man. And he would be furious with all this ideology. And I mean, literally, some people that, like, idol him, right? Um, but, like, here's a man who goes through life just like we do, and he just pursues Christ. I mean, that... that that's it right there. We were never promised things are going to be great, easy, beautiful. You know, we're just promised that we belong to Christ and we can't be lost, right? He keeps us and we pursue him. So he does this and in the midst of all of these epidemics, right, with his children dying and all these things, the man just keeps debating Roman Catholic priests. But then what happens to the point is he becomes very, like, well-known and very popular, not in the sense of, like, you know, uplift John Calvin, but in the sense of, like, people are hearing his preaching and it's creating revival. Not because he had any power, but because it's like, you know, one of his first writings as a young man, and I can't remember what it was. It wasn't the Seneca or something like that. But it was basically, like, his commentary on this um, this old, like, parchment, right? I can't remember what it was. But talking about how Protestantism is focused on grace through faith and not on works, which is the big deal, right? Catholic Church is about works. Protestantism's like it's grace through faith. We have to believe in Jesus to be saved. So like that's his. That was his thing. Grace through faith. I mean, when you start getting into his uh, doctrine of well, not his doctrine, but Scripture's doctrine of total depravity, like completely lost. Ephesians chapter two. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. The man literally saw himself, but all people is like completely dead, no knowledge of God, no enlightenment, no Holy Spirit, nothing, but God rich in his mercy, right? Kind of like Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love while we're at center Christ, died for us, the ungodly. And so he literally just preaches. But w- what I like is he becomes well known. His name starts to carry a little weight, right, in the theology world. And so it gets to the point where he actually goes back to Geneva and they respect him and want him there so bad that he establishes church order. So like you got to think Roman Catholicism, Protestantism. So he's coming in and he's like, here's a pastor, you know, your elders are your deacons, right? We This is how we work. This is how we function. This is how we do business, all according to scripture. But not only that, he they, they he's also described as a ecclesiastical statement so he's really huge on like some ways of politics but it needs to reflect scripture so actually the town of geneva not only recognizes him as this pastor and this preacher but they also bring him into the aspects of city law and government but when you read the history of it it's like everything he established was biblically based um so like one thing that he honed down on law wise in the town was sexual morality. So like taverns, um, you know, those places, you, uh, brothels, 
I mean, places where women were. I mean, he honed down on that. It became to a point where it's like illegal in the town. You shouldn't do those things. Um, he initiates the law of God into a lot of the ways that they live there. But in his you know journey and his pursuit of doing such things, he also establishes um, Christian-led education for adults, farmers, children's wives. I mean, you name it, right? So they really involve him in a lot of things. But the other side of it, though, is it created this group of people that were so passionate about their theology and so devoted to this Calvinistic Reformed theology that this Spanish evangelist who preached like an unorthodoxy kind of message was arrested and convicted by the hand of John Calvin. Like, I mean, think about that. He's literally arrested and convicted, but yet the city decides that he needs to be executed. And he needs to be, I think he's burned alive for preaching the wrong or unorthodoxy message. But the reason they did this was because they wanted people to see how serious they were about theology. Now, I think there's a lot of pros and cons to his life. One pro is I thoroughly believe he was a born-again believer and he wanted people to be saved. That's a fact. I believe that thoroughly. But number two, we also have to understand like 1500s. I mean, that was a long time ago. So things, it was, it was a lot different. But when you look at how he integrated into politics and into government, especially the establishment of laws like in Geneva, it was good. I mean, it definitely had its benefits, but when you have an almost an extremist group that is promoted and produced because of their devotion that they want to kill a man. I think there's some questions that need to be raised because obviously in the Mosaic law, what's the one of the commandments Thou shalt not kill. But then there comes this question of like, Paul said this in Galatians, if any man or angel or being preach another gospel, they need to be accursed, but it never says kill them. So then it introduces this idea of like, okay, back in the old days, if you blasphemed or you were a false prophet, right, you get stoned to death, but yet Paul and them never specifically said go kill people, right? I mean, he learned that because he was there when Stephen died. We heard a good message today about admonishment. Yeah. And when we talk about the advancement of the faith, uh, again, we weren't there. We don't know. We've got a historical uh, record of what happened, but... Uh, in in the vision of the Bible, where we, we we look at reconciliation and we look at uh, the, the weaker brother and bringing people to a position of service, that admonishment where you take somebody and say, "Hey, you know what? This is in an effort so that uh, we can yeah. improve our efficiency for spreading the gospel and help a brother see his error." Then at that point, you've gained a brother. And that's true, Alan. I mean, so the fact that they ended up murdering a man, that's not biblical. So it, it did create this area where it's like, okay, are these followers like more about God and Christ, or are they more about John Calvin and yeah. politics? Yes. So one thing, though, is he ends up really nailing down this 1541 um, Christian Institutes, and it absolutely like goes across the world and catches fire. To the point where, like, people are calling him from other countries, wanting him to help influence local government, politics, but also the church. So, obviously, his focus was on the church. And while I admire their ideas of wanting to pull him into politics and government, I mean, he was a lawyer, right? So, he had that kind of training. There has to be, you got to be sensitive because, I mean, the church and government can. Not intercourse. You know, they, they don't need to come head to head. The church is here. The government's here. Now, while Christian leadership and guidance in government is great, you've still got to establish that these are two different areas. And he did well in that. But it's like one thing about him was he had well, like, acknowledgement to royalty. So, like, in the opening of this book, right, it's a letter to Francis I. So he's writing to the king, and he says this, My sole purpose was to teach certain rudiments which might allow those who were touched with a sincere feeling for God to learn true piety. 
I chiefly wish my efforts to benefit our fellow Frenchmen, many of whom I saw to be hungering and thirsting for Jesus Christ, yet very few of whom who had received proper knowledge of him. Evidence of my intention will be easily found in this book, and that I have adapted it to the simplest form of instruction which I was capable. So, I mean, right there he's writing to the king, and he's like, I'm doing this because I want people to be edified. I want them to learn. They have a hunger for Christ. But yet, in his appeal... He's educating the king, and he's like, this is how we're supposed to live. This is what we do. And as you keep going through here, I mean, this is, a, he talks about, you know, per, the persecuted. He's quoting scripture from Old and New Testament to this king. Um, he's talking about the adversary's motives, uh, the, the question of miracle. I mean, he's literally like digging through doctrinal and scriptural things. But not only that, he's quoting and citing like parchments and articles that were older than him. So he did his research. And he talks about the true church and the false church. And so the man literally, I mean, listen to this, Satan's purpose to discredit the gospel. He addresses that. And he goes through all these things, and then he starts with the first chapter, just the basic knowledge of God. So one thing is that when you look at his death, which I didn't write his death down, I was reading about it, um, but he died... And one thing about him was that he, so he had sickness and ailments. Like, I mean, he was, he, he was a man, right? He was affected. But the history of him literally said that he was so spread out in ministry and preaching and teaching that ultimately it took such a toll on his body that it pointed to part of his death because he was exhausted and his body had never had time to heal because he's always on the goal. So one thing I think that he had in mind was what Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He wasn't worried about this side. He just wanted to do what he was called to do. So with this basic history of John Calvin, which I encourage you, you can go to BrittanAcana.com. You can go to, I mean, a lot of different like accredited websites that can tell you all these things. Or like this book, I read through it, and he really doesn't talk about himself. He just, you know, gets down to the doctrine. And I'm still going through it. There's a... There's a lot in this. I mean, some really good stuff. Uh, but when you start getting into like how he preached in the doctrines, which I, I'd love for us to kind of come back into this next week, the biggest thing that people trip up on is this idea of a double predestination. Now, before we do that, uh, we've talked about this, and we will next week more as well, because um, I like to pull the history in as a fact, so it's not just us talking about it. His followers were crazy. Because they were crazy about John Calvin. And Joseph, uh, Jacobus, however you want to say it, Arminius, his followers were crazy about him. So really the tulip, so it's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, total depravity, uh, and he does teach these things, but not like I'm five point, I'm four point, well I'm three. He just preached the gospel. Other men made this up. Total depravity is the idea that man's completely dead in his sins and trespasses, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, unconditional election is like an Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, like no works. God's not partial. God has no favoritism. You're, you can't earn it. You can't do anything. God draws you when he chooses to, um, and you're saved by his unconditional election. That means there's no pro- criteria. You're just part of God's elect. Um, irresistible grace is the idea that once a person encounters God's grace, it's irresistible. They can't fight against it. Um, limited atonement. This is a tough one that uh, I'll go ahead and say this up front. I don't agree with. Uh, limited atonement that talks about that Christ's bloodshed on the cross was limited to just the elect. It's not for the whole world. It's just for the elect. Um, but the Calvinist still recognizes that they don't know who the elect are. God can save who he wants, but it's just for them. And then the perseverance of the saints is, or the preservation, is um, that we're kept, we can't lose our salvation, and that God who starts a good work, which is Scripture, will finish it. He will get his glory out of it. So these are the five things that a lot of people associate with Calvinism. And in this day and age, you know, I'm a five-point. Well, I'm hyper-Calvinist. Well, I'm a four. Well, no, I'm a three, you know. 
but these are the five things, and you know it does bring up a lot of controversy because when you get into this idea of, as R.C. Sproul promoted, a double predestination, which is some people are chosen before birth for heaven and some are chosen before birth for hell, well, they hang their hat up in Romans 9, vessels of destruction, right? God's elect, not all Israel. So it's this Romans 9 idea that God elects specific people before birth for heaven and for salvation, while yet the other ones are chosen and sentenced to eternity in hell. Now, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I I think that contradicts God's character because Scripture says that He's loving, He's all-knowing, and He's all-powerful. Scripture said that He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, right? His long-suffering is salvation. Um, so there's too much in Scripture to support this idea that God wouldn't just send people to hell on purpose. Um, you know, what would be the point of them, right? Um, now, are there dishonorable vessels? Yes, Pharaoh's a great example. Um, we'll get into that more next week because we're going to be talking about free will with John Calvin and Arminianism. Um, but the idea that they don't have free will, God just sends them to hell, uh, that ruins God's character. That's not love. That's not patient or kind. Um so we'll get into some of the uh, intricacies and uh, of it, but here's the thing that really, while we're while we're talking about it, uh, there's things about uh, theology that I don't understand. There's things that I believe God has, uh, in His own uh, time and His own way, uh, chosen to reveal to mankind. There's things that we don't know yet, and then there's th- there's places where men fill in the blanks. Yeah, and there so. Uh, there's there's elements of, of predestination that I can I can agree and shake my head with, and then there's that the thing where folks you know just they get hung up on God uh, creating people to go to hell. And I here here's what I want you to understand: because of God's infinite wisdom and knowledge and knowing, man alive, He knows it all. He there does. is nothing secret from Him. He does, and it's like you know, um, a couple weeks ago, I made comment that I got into this study and research of cults. So it's like someone, uh, my sister actually, you know, I sent her this thing about Jonestown, Jim Jones. Yeah, and she ended up coming back and responding, and she's like, "He was crazy," and I was like, "He's a vessel of destruction." Yeah, he is. Yeah. And she was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like. That was his reason. Yeah. He, I mean, and so then there's that question of like, well, Hunter, are you saying he never had a chance? No. The man was around gospel preaching. Yep. He heard gospel yep. preaching. Yep. But when it comes to God's will, I cannot interpret that nor discern all the details that took place. That's between Jim Jones and God. But ultimately, the man was a non-believer, and he led people to kill themselves, and he's in hell. That's reality. Yep. Um, Hitler, right? Yep. What about Hitler? What exposure, right? We could talk about him. Uh, that other guy, I can't, Brahm or whatever, that the El Paso thing, he had all those people in that combine and all that, and then they ended up burning it alive and they all died. Um, you know, we could go through so many different scenarios Absolutely. like Absolutely. Pharaoh, and we will get into that because once we, like this next week, um, especially when Brother Jake comes in, we start discussing free will. We might have some different ideas in this room of how we interpret free will, but I will say this. um, God's in control. God is powerful. God is sovereign. And John Calvin got a hold of that. He wasn't the first man to preach sovereignty. I mean, Paul wasn't the first man to preach sovereignty. Christ literally was like, here, and he's like, my Father's will be done. You know, he's in the, let this cut pass, but nevertheless, your will be done. In the Old Testament, the prophets, they knew God's will was going to be done. Yep. Sovereignty's existed from the beginning. Sure has. But we also have to understand that, like, we cannot put too much emphasis on our decision-making. Exactly. Because if we, like, surround uh, our lives based on what we do, then it's going to be obvious what we live for, our decisions. And, you know, it's like this last week, you know, uh, Grant was talking about, um, like, at his work, they're paying people for the vaccine. And someone made a comment to him of, like, you know, well, you shouldn't take that. It's like suicide. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So it gets it gets a little opinionated and political. But I'm bringing this up to say this, is Grant was like, when I die, God knows I'm going to die. And the brother was like, or the guy was like, 
well, you're speeding up your death if you take that. And Grant's like, but does God not know that? And the guy was like, uh, well, you're choosing. So Grant just said, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in God's foreknowledge? He's like, yeah. He said, well, let's talk about it. Well, at the end of their conversation, it didn't sound like the guy believed in God's foreknowledge at all. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, you know, people talk about, well, we choose what we eat. Okay, well, who gave you your taste buds? God knows. God's in control. God's on the throne. And I think we could pick apart the things John Calvin preached on. But ultimately, I'm not going to start a John Calvin hate club. I'm not going to shotgun him out of the pulpit and be like, he's going to hell like a lot of men have. And his followers, I mean, James White is a big, you know, apologist, and he's a Calvinist and reformed. But, like, Josh was literally the one that showed me that sermon of that guy that was like, the sermon was literally about how James White was going to hell. And that's not preaching. That is not what we're called to do. And a lot of people have created hate clubs because of how John Calvin preached. I mean, even like when we get into Arminianism, it really was evolved because they did not like John Calvin. Uh, the Geneva Bible was very popular. Well, they went and made their own Bible. Why? Because that Bible was written by a Reformed Calvinist. So we're going to write our own Bible. We don't want them to touch it, right? So like this, like, they're, wor- they're not worthy of this. They're wrong. And... That's crazy. I mean, that's judgment. That's, well, that's go ahead. the thing. Like, so, I mean, part of the problem is is the era that we live in because, if yeah. you, you know, the Internet gives us instant access to everything, and everybody wants to be a critic of somebody else past judgment. You know, and like Pastor's message this morning, I was sitting there doing the message, and I was listening to it, and it really got me thinking, like, you know, how quick are we to pass judgment? How quick are we and instantly to write somebody off? So Tulip was, it was basically to identify a Calvinist follower by yeah. those five points so that's how the world if you will what does it say oh well then you must be a calvinist yeah and instantly put him under a subcategory um but we still see that today and it's like flesh- like that judgment of that pastor yeah. that was going against the calvinist i mean does he really have concern for this guy because if he's truly a believer and this gentleman is lost like he says he is and going to hell would he not want to at least give him witness to the god the true gospel one time so the con the concept of wolves and sheep's closing those are script in unawares those the the that worldly mentality of uh, carnal practices that have crept into the church. So it, just like you're talking about, Josh, how quickly do we look at a, uh, a male, let's say, I'll describe somebody, male, uh, pale skin, uh, he wears eyeliner, dark eyeliner, got dark straight hair, uh, maybe wears the black lipstick with the long trench coat. How quickly do we say, uh, he's a devil worshiper or, oh, he's a something, something just based off of our preconceived ideas and notions of what that type of people who look like that, you know what I'm saying? We basically make decisions off of looks instead of our pastor said this morning. I like it's so true. We're not talking about looks. Mm -hmm. We're talking about opinion. We're talking about actions, yeah, behavior, yeah, things that are factual that we make our decisions based yeah. upon, yeah, not on not on looks or association. Yep. And what I like is like you're not going to come to conclusions by looking at others or judging others or putting people in that subcategory. But it's like here, here's one thing that like a lot of and a lot of people don't even know anything about John Calvin. They just shotgun it because they've heard it but i want you to listen to this he says this we observe that no one ever attains clear knowledge of self unless he has first gazed upon the face of the lord and then turns back to look upon himself deeply rooted in all of us is an arrogance which persuades us that we are righteous truthful wise and holy Only clear evidence that we are unrighteous, deceitful, foolish, vile will convince us of the contrary. Listen to this. We feel no such conviction if all we do is look upon ourselves and not also upon the Lord. He is the one and only standard with which our judgment must accord. This man had had that. Man, that humility of Isaiah 6. And that's like why people go against him 
while also his followers have kind of like ruined his name by associating him with all these things, like you were saying, is Tulip. I mean, so the man's like, you can only feel conviction when you look upon the Lord, Isaiah 6. And he believed that. But this message of Tulip kind of promotes an arrogancy, which a lot of Calvinist claimers have, of like, we're God's elect, you're not. So there's so many pros and cons. I mean, it's like, I agree with total depravity. A hundred percent. Like, we're totally deprived from God. Um, I agree with an unconditional election. We have nothing to offer God. It's all on Him. Irresistible grace can't be proved in Scripture. But when you hear people's testimonies, when they come in contact with God's grace, when they're saved, it's amazing. Limited atonement, I don't agree with. I believe it's First John 2 and 10 or Second John 2 and 10 that says that he not only died for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The perseverance, preservation of the saints, that's biblical. So it's like there are, there's biblical argument and conviction behind the statements. And that's the part that gets me is people are like putting them in a subcategory and the, some of them deserve that, but it's like when people ask me, they're like, well, are you a Calvinist? I'm like, no, I don't identify with any group, but I will tell you that I agree with the preaching because it takes the gospel message and portrays it in a way that we are in need of Christ. That's it. And I, I love that idea and almost that van, that viewpoint of like, okay, I'm in need of Christ. He's not in need of me. I'm the one in darkness. He's the one that is light. We're the ones that need the saving. It's not like Christ needs to save us for his sake. And so this next week, when we come back into this, and we'll bring scripture. I mean, like, this isn't our viewpoint. I hope everybody sees, like, we're not fighting on this foundation. We're going to go through all of them like this. Um, Arminianism, I mean, the way that they look at the Gospels for everyone, amen. I I get that, right? Um, That traditional idea of, like, there are traditions that are good, yes. Um, now, universalism, I don't agree with it at all. Now, eventually we're going to talk about progressive Christianity. We have discussed that and the deconstruction movement. We will get to that probably later on. But we want to take all these viewpoints. We want to look at the scripture that they give and why they stand in such a pool. And then examine and rightly divide that word and see if it's accurate. Now, we're not ultimate truth. We could get something wrong. But we have to understand that it's not our opinions whether something's right or wrong. It's on Scripture alone. Exactly right. right. That's why we appreciate this platform because this this is an opportunity that listeners, you can can listen to this podcast. You can form an opinion of it. You can hear something I say and think that, man, Alan has lost his mind, and then research in God's Word and see if I have. And if if I have, come see me. Let's talk about it. And through that process, just like our pastor preached about today, that being able to show me my wrongs, not crucify me, not imprison me and then burn me at the stake, but help me understand my error. Yeah. And we'll, and, we'll and, both move forward in, in a yeah. productive uh, way to be more efficient at yeah. evangelism. And the the challenge, it's like, you know, one time I was challenged to go study out what water meant to God. I'm thankful for that because a couple weeks ago I had a college student ask, like, why is water so important to God? So I found myself going throughout the whole Bible. Now, at the end of it, I didn't come to a new revelation or conclusion that baptism saves me. It, It doesn't. Faith saves me. But water is used throughout the Bible so vividly as an illustration of how God can renew someone, God can cleanse someone, but also how God can judge people. And I'm thankful that I was challenged that one time because it pushed me to study into a question. It it pushed me to study into a doctrine of like, why is it significant? The question, is it significant for salvation? Do Do I need to go... And you go through all of that, and while my conclusion remains the same, there's a conviction that it's grace through faith. I admire being challenged because now I've learned something and seen something that I never saw before. And it's like, when you look at this Calvin theology, if you're listening to this, and maybe someone at your church or yourself, you're just like, I'm against this, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to... 
Let it challenge you. Yeah. Let it absolutely get under your skin and challenge you and go study it. Don't just build your basis off opinions. I'm tired of people who build their forts on opinions. It's 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 sand. It's not the rock that Christ said we need to build on. And right now, I mean, you can go on Facebook and go read about... I mean, it's like, you know, I heard a brother um, tell me about how some pastor got on and was talking about how, like, you know, you should be in church. Virtual church is not as good as real church. No, I agree with some of that. Then another brother gets on there and is like, I'm so thankful for church because me and online church, because me and my wife are sick and we're... So it's just this back and forth opinionated conversation and it's like, let's put the opinions aside and let's get into the Word of God because that's literally all we have. It's like, you know, one thing that I I thoroughly uh, love is like, you know, when there's times that we go to like Josh's house, me and Josh, we're going to have at least a 30 minute conversation about scripture and that means a lot to me. But what if me and Josh just sat there and had 30 minute conversations about our opinions? That gets us nowhere. The iron doesn't sharpen iron in that conversation. Uh, Accountability, sharing burdens, sharing conviction, that gets us nowhere. But when we get into the Word of God and we are challenged and we are encouraged and we are exhorted, and like we learned this morning, we're admonished. That's where it is. And so as you continue listening to this theology like podcast in this segment, you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to open my mind up. Open your Bible up. Just open. Absolutely open your Bible up. Look into these scriptures that we're going to start bringing up. Look into these passages and ask yourself, what does this mean? But ultimately, go to God in prayer. Lord, what does this mean? Help me learn this through the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit's in you, you are more than capable of reading and learning from the Word of God. Romans 9 is hard. When you start getting into the elect and you, you know, the, the, uh, Jacob and Esau before birth, no, no favoritism, they didn't do anything but election, right? That's tough. But if you're not studied up and you're not prayed up, you're not going to be able to fully grab a hold of the content of that message and how God's will will always be furthered. It will always continue. God had foreknowledge. He knew Esau would not be faithful. He knew Jacob would. So he did choose Jacob. And our knowledge is so limited. It's it is. Get, it's hard to get our head around that. And that's why it's complicated complicated uh subject matter like we're talking about today i feel kind of uh, uh intimidated just by the by the subject matter because i i, I know my intellect <laughs> you know what i'm saying but i understand i can i can wallow in that shallowness as long as i want to or i can push myself and motivate into yeah. understanding and learning and, and and that's my goal for this entire uh you know series guys if you're listening and uh maybe th- you don't have an opinion. Maybe this is one of those things that you, your church never studied historical events, and uh, you don't have a whole lot of uh, background in uh, Christian uh, history. You know, even not, it, like in the Reformation or things like that. Uh, take this time as we're going through this series and do a little reading on it. And I'll say this: like a lot of people grow up in Sunday school hearing about Jonah and the whale yeah. and things, and that's yeah. great. I mean, we need that, right? But there comes a time, especially like now in this day and age, because it's like Generation Z is referred to as the first post-Christian generation. They don't want anything to do with God. So it's like there is this applicable, logical, historical, scientific like way to view education and learning in this world. And we need to take advantage of that. And it's like we've got to be challenged and stretched ourselves because it's like, you know, I grew up with learning your basic Bible stories, but when I really got out in the world and was challenged, it I was like, I'm not ready for this. So I had to get ready, right? Yeah, yeah. I had to start reading up on things. We've, I, we've, 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 we've waited ankle deep in, in, in the mediocrity and, and like the, yeah. the, the, the zero accountability of, of of whom much is given, much is expected. Well, I don't, I don't know a lot, so there's not going to be a lot expected yeah. out of me. So, as we as we learn, uh, yes, the the science, the math, the, the all of the, the the subject matter that we teach in school, all that's in scripture. God, God's God's not uh, yeah. trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. Yeah, and you know, it's our responsibility, it's our duty as Christians to try to live a Christian life in all avenues and promote Scripture and promote the Word of God and. I admire 
what John Calvin wanted to do because that's all he wanted to promote was Christian living, Christian ways, the gospel. And, you know, it's like a lot of people, I mean, it's like this. So, for instance, in First Kings chapter 13, God uses a lying backslid prophet. What in the world? Why? Right? Okay, so there's this young prophet and God says, you need to go talk to the king. Don't stop. Don't go anywhere else. Just go there and come back and continue, right? So he goes, and on his way back, another prophet comes up and is like, God told me that you need to come eat at my house. And he lied to him. And then God speaks through the lying prophet. Or how about this? Saul, right? Saul's king, and the spirits, he's not, he, God's left him, and David's anointed, right? And Paul goes to a seer, a magician. And he goes to her, and she tries to summon Nathaniel from the dead, and God allows Nathaniel from the dead to speak to Saul and condemn him of what he was doing. Some people hear that and they're like, "Well, that, that we don't need to talk about that. We we <laughs> no, nah, we'll you'll you'll learn that later on. You'll no, nah, just that's God's word. We can't understand that. No, we can. That's an excuse that's yeah. been used way too long. Yeah. See, we've got to be able to get into those sections of scripture and study it out and ask the question, why is it like this? But not only those sections about Romans 9, about water in the Bible, right? About, uh, the, the you know, 1 Corinthians 15, right? The, the dead in Christ shall rise. We've got to ask these questions. But here's the thing. If I get into a hard passage of Scripture, I'm going to have a lot of ideas and solutions, right? There's a lot of gray area. And I like to try to teach and preach all. This is how you, like when you get into the rapture, you can, I, I settle in that pre-trib like, before tribulation, before everything, Christ's going to rapture us out. But there's still evidence for a post, right? There's still scripture that alludes. So I teach it all and then tell everybody where I put my flag. And that's what I'm saying. is like, I'm one of those guys where when I hit a gray area, I'm going to tell you what I think this means. But are there things in God's word that I cannot interpret, nor do I have that full knowledge there's not. I mean, there is. They're there. Yeah. I mean, I when you get into First Peter, right? And you get right in there in chapter three, and it talks about that Christ went and preached to the souls in captivity of Noah's day. How do you interpret that, right? There's a lot of solutions, but throughout, I wasn't there. So be challenged by what we're getting ready to go through, because I promise you, I I, I firmly believe that a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are of same faith and are born again believers. So when we start talking about universalism, it's going to blow your mind how people preach that you can get to heaven however you want. That's going to blow some people's mind. But what about deconstruction and progressive Christianity? Yeah. So that, I've just been just recently oh, been exposed to that. Had no idea. Had no idea. And I actually had to ask Hunter some clarifying questions. I'm like, is that what that means? And Hunter's like, yeah, this is, this is what that means. So uh, I'm excited about those. And it's, it's something that... Uh, if you, you know, have a small, you know, circle of friends and you don't get out a lot, you may have no idea that things like this are going on in the world today as we speak. Uh, a lot of Christians out there just having a hard time and struggling yeah. really bad. It's like, you know, two guys, they're YouTubers. I grew up watching as a kid where two guys called Rhett and Link. They do like music, science, you know, typical things kids learn. So this last year... They both posted on their YouTube page how they deconstructed from Christian and Christianity and they're not Christians anymore. You know how I many teenagers <laughs> yeah. from my generation and under have seen that and yeah. have been influenced? Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's this uh, apologist, I think it's like Alyssa Waters or something like that, Childers, Childers or something like that. And she's very, she's a, an apologist at the T. And she goes through their deconstruction testimony and she's like, they talk about how the sufficiency of science and proof of Jesus, they just say that there's not enough proof. She's like, but notice how they don't support that. They just play it off. So she goes through this and shows like how it's a manipulation that they're trying to promote than just, we're not Christians anymore. And then at the end of it, he's like, don't send any questions. Don't comment anything. I, I don't want to respond to it. But yet he is pushing and promoting your child to not be a Christian through what he says. That's tough. That's hard, right? And he'll tell you, I've had, you know, I've communicated with Christ. He lived in my heart. I pursued him daily, but
but I'm just not a Christian anymore. How do you answer that? We've got to be able to find answers to that. Because Paul said this, if Christ did not raise, then my preaching is in vain. So there were men claiming that Christ had not risen from the grave, and Paul had to defend that. And ultimately said, if Christ had not risen, then my preaching is in vain. And so when you when you hear that statement, if you're like me, come out from under the rock. I'm That's like, what I think. I'm like, of. what what are you talking about, Patrick? I, that does, <laughs> I don't understand. Can somebody can somebody explain that to me a yeah. little bit better? Because I don't I don't that does that statement doesn't make sense to me. I didn't my my brain didn't get it. How can you who have once known the goodness of God? You know what I'm saying? You've tasted. You've tasted it. Let's go read Hebrews six. I I mean, that's what understands. What's going on? That just does not make sense to me. (laughs) Because some some people will say that they lost their salvation. Yeah. How do we refute that? How do we go again? It's like the best way I can explain how I was sheltered and grew up, not knowing any of this until it was like my twenties, and I was exposed, and I was like, "Oh no, my faith's not real. I need to." You know what I'm saying? I went through this whole reconstruction. If you think about it. Is I felt like, and this is terrible, on SpongeBob, Patrick lived under a rock, and that's literally what I felt like I had done the whole first part of my life was live under this Christian rock, and this is how life is. But once I was challenged and saw like what the world teaches, but also how people are like, I'm not a Christian anymore. I it felt like I just poked my head out from under the rock for the first time, and I was like, what is going on out here? So I'll say this about a, a person again: he had no. Malice, he was simply asking out of curiosity because he was raised on a doctrine that did not believe in eternal security. And he asked me to explain, and of course it's that famous statement that gives eternal security such a bad name. Please explain to me once saved, always saved. (laughs) And that statement in itself has given... Eternal security is such a black eye because there are so many, quote, unquote, I'm doing air quotes, Christians that got their ticket out of hell, and that's all I want. That's a cop-out. You know what I'm saying? Answer. But he throwing but, that out there. But, but when, he, when he asked me that, I give him my scriptural uh, uh, basis for the stance that I take that, gosh, I'm, I'm saved, and I'm eternally saved. And I went through several scriptural, and at the end of the conversation, he said, well, we we believe all those things too. I just don't understand. I've never heard that concept, and he had never been exposed to eternal security. Yeah. So it, there's a lot of folks out there, and I'm not. I'm not just saying this is for those that think like us. Maybe you're listening, and you you have opposing or been raised differently, or whatever the case may be. Uh, do some reading. Do some studying. Yeah. Uh, don't we, be like us. Be like yeah, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Alan, I've been in that same circumstance where it's like the answer you have is once saved, always saved. And that was my cop out. And it's like, this is how it is, brother, yeah. sister. This is how it is. But it's like, there's no grip nor scriptural conviction to that. Once you go to Hebrews 5 through 10 yeah. and read about how Christ is the high priest and his sacrifice was good once and for all. And then go off the idea of, okay, since Christ and his sacrifice was good enough for once and for all, that means he doesn't die over and over again for me to be saved, so therefore I'm saved once and for all because his uh, sacrifice was sufficient. I I was there. And then you, it's like, you know, one time we had a conversation, me and one of my friends with um, a girl who was identified with the Muslim faith. So they acknowledged Jesus. But he was just a prophet. And so she's like, well, why do you guys believe Jesus is the Son of God? I was like, well, you know, he's born of a virgin. Oh, I don't believe in that. Well, what's wrong? Why? Why don't you believe in that? You know what I'm saying? So we go through this conversation, and you know what the conclusion of it was? She's like, I I said this, and she said it as well. You know, well, you just believe Jesus is a man, and I believe he's the Son of God. Now, was there witness in that? Absolutely. Dude. I wish I would have started applying myself earlier because if I would have been studied up for that conversation, I might have had more scriptural evidence and conviction to offer her. Not that I have the power to offer right, her, but right. to defend the faith. Understand, understand and I felt defeated that day because yeah. I felt like I did not defend the yeah. way I was supposed to. 
Now that will never leave my mind and always keeps me challenged to keep studying and keep reading even when I'm tired and exhausted. But John Calvin, he studied and he was ready to give a defense on why he believed the way he did. And this next week we're going to get into not I mean we're not going to go through every little stance. We'll go through the main things like double predestination, the limited atonement idea and where they get that from. Um, you know, we'll look at that whole free will idea. Uh, from both him and Je- uh, Jacobus or Arminian, whatever. Um, so I would just encourage you guys, keep listening and start studying, start reading. And I, I want to say this, this I had an epiphany while we were doing this. So the episode that was supposed to be loaded before this one, I think I deleted it to record this one. So if that's true, there's an episode just missing, and I apologize, you know, way to go, Hunter. Uh, but it's okay. You know, we're going to talk about that stuff eventually. Yeah. Uh, it's just, there's an hour of recording just gone. So, but it, it's all good. So, uh, guys, do y'all have anything else to say? God bless. God bless. All right. Hey, we'll, um, like I said, this next week we won't record, but we'll be back. Um, episode will be back here in a couple of weeks. And uh, be studying, be ready, because I know this. Uh, we're going to study, we're going to read, and we're going to try to give you guys the best explanation we can. Absolutely. So, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Peace out.